Welcome, gentlemen, to Wealth, Wine and Wisdom. Jono, Andy, welcome along. For those dialing in, a couple of people uh, jumping in on the live today. It's always a bit of a strange one these days with daylight savings because we're starting a bit early in Queensland, and uh, but in Victoria and uh, New South Wales, you guys are uh, five o'clock. It's time to have a wine, but uh, we're having an early one here in Queensland. So welcome along, gang, uh, to another Wealth Wine and Wisdom. We've got a special guest today, John O'Rolly. There he is um, from Direct Response Media. We'll have a bit of a yarn with John O a bit later on, but um, as we always do, we do the uh, do the the basic introductions. Andy and myself, we have been having a chat on Friday afternoons, debriefing our week from our two worlds, um, colliding, combining, whichever way you want to describe it, the world of real estate and the world of shares and uh, helping business owners in our tribes hopefully uh, make a little bit of sense of what's going on out there in the COVID times and we're enjoying uh, continuing these conversations and getting guests on like Jono today is going to be a bit of a treat, I think, for everybody. But um, Andy... What do you got to say this fine Friday? Welcome, my friend, and welcome, Jono. What's mate, going on in your neck of the woods, mate? Well, mate, it has been a killer week down here. There's a hell of a lot to talk about. There's been a lot in the news, a lot of good in the news, uh, which means that it's not really news. Uh, I, I was looking at it earlier today and I'm going, what am I actually going to talk about today? Everything seems to be reasonably positive in my world. Uh, and Mate, that, that, that feels a little bit strange. So I went and uh, grabbed my Saddler's Creek wine, opened the Pinot Noir, because the other thing that's changed down here is that, uh, mate, it is beautiful down here in Victoria. <laughs> it is no, absolutely no. <laughs> stunning. Absolutely stunning. And so I thought I'd, uh, I'd crack another one of Saddler's Creek. So, Wendy, when you're, uh, you're out there, I'm sure you're watching today, and uh, we'll be hearing from Wendy next week, uh, actually, because one of the things that, fascinates me from a business perspective is how you know sometimes we bitch and moan about our cash flow conversion cycles being a little bit too long but what happens when your cash flow conversion cycle could legitimately be five years or ten years yeah know, wow and starting off these things so i thought it'd be a, a cracker little conversation to have and she can uh, use her educated brain through the the wine side of the equation but but i've cracked open the, the saddler's pinot noir because it's a beautiful day down here and uh it's a Hunter Valley, which is really different for me. But, uh, mate, I, I'll, I'll let you know throughout the day, but she's got lovely legs, and I'm talking about the wine, not Wendy. <laughs> well, Wendy probably does as well, but she's married, and I'm not going to comment. Uh, but, mate, this is actually a cracker. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty big Pinot Noir. And you've got the uh, bluegrass up there, I see. Mate, I'm having a go at the bluegrass today. And, and another shout-out to Wendy. Thank you very much, Wendy. We've been enjoying your wines. Um, they've been absolutely wonderful. A bit of a step up at my end. I've been... Uh, I've been raiding my mum's um, uh, no brand, or what is it called, no frills or something, clean skin wipes. <laughs> clean skin. <laughs> and, nothing uh, it's nothing wrong with the clean skin, mate. It's just a grange with the label taken off. <laughs> and certainly a million miles up from that. So big shout out uh, to Wendy um, uh, taking care of us on Wealth, Wine and Wisdom from Sadlier's Creek Wine. We can highly recommend them. Andy knows a lot more about wine than me. He's got all the fancy words, but it tastes great and um, I'm really enjoying it. So thank you, Wendy. Jono, what, what do you got uh, in your glass today, mate? You're drinking anything flash or did you just have to raid the cupboard? <laughs> mate, I literally just raided the staffer's cupboard, but uh, they had something called 
cat amongst the pigeons, and I thought it was <laughs> quite fitting. So that is going to be my role today, to be the cat amongst the pigeons. So a nice little drop from Barossa. That's um, perfect. But, yeah, quite quite serendipitous. Absolutely. <laughs> Mate, um, we've got a few people on now. There's sort of 40-odd 40, 40 people on. So welcome, gang. Give us a bit of a shout-out where you're dialing in from today. Where are you? Uh, the amazing Melbourne. Uh, the awesome Gold Coast, uh, where, where are you dialing in from? Uh, New South Wales, uh, let us know where everyone is. Chuck a few chats in there. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you have any questions uh, as we have this conversation this afternoon, whack them in the chat. Uh, we'll answer them as we go along. But Jono um, and his team are in the world of direct response media, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about... Um, um, something that's pretty cool. I love this this subject, which is the brain and uh, how it responds to certain things. And uh, we all have a brain. Um, well, we should anyway, we hope. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be a good conversation. Maybe we'll learn how it, uh, how it operates. But also, more importantly, if we're in business or we're in the, the world of influence or marketing, we might get a few tips from Jono today. He's, he is one of Australia's best um, uh, business minds in this space, and uh, it'd be great to hear from him as we go. But we've got uh, we've got somebody in from Bris Vegas. We've got Bacchus Marsh here. Linda, welcome along. Hey. Dialing in from Newcastle. Um, Shay, uh, literally about fifty meters down the road or or uh, down the garden from my house. So that's uh, that's fantastic. We've got Mark and uh, Karen from the sunny coast. Um, Alan in from Brizzy. Um, so welcome, gang. Great to have you here um, as we go along. But Andy, why don't we just kick off the day with a quick sort of debrief on our two worlds, the market, and I want to spend a bit of time uh, with you, Jono. So if you just uh, um, uh, um, stick with us for a little bit and we'll uh, we'll have Mate, a yarn for you. I'll just sit back and have a drink and you go about business. Mate, we'll do the do. It won't take long. But uh, in the news at my end, Andy, I'll sort of kick off um, something really cool and uh, I might see if I can make this one. I don't know if I can make that one solo, but uh, if I can make it a little bit bigger. So a report came out this week in um, um, the REIQ, Real Estate Institute of Queensland, and uh, it was a really interesting report uh, showing how low the vacancy rates are in Queensland. Uh, John, you just moved um, from the south to to this end of town, and um, um, you you saw how competitive or, or the lack of quality stock to, to rent or even to buy when you moved up here in Byron and other places. Um, and um, that's showing up now in these numbers, which we were expecting. I was expecting this. I was saying this to Andy for a while. The supply chain uh, in Australian real estate had been decimated by um, not COVID, gang, uh, but it had been decimated by the APRA finance changes two and a half years ago. So there was two parts that decimated the new construction uh, flow in Australia, the changes in finance, APRA brought in, and also the changes in the treatment uh, of um, depreciation for investors that you can only uh, depreciate or significantly depreciate a brand new property um, if it's been owned for like literally one week by someone else, you lose 60 to 70% of the depreciation credits the, the moment it, it sells to a second owner. So those two things absolutely napalmed and uh, decimated the 
construction supply chain and, and not a lot of people were paying attention because the supply chain was actually delivering supply, which was completed stock in many of our cities because of the things that happened in 2015 and 16 and 17. The completed stock was showing up in 2018 and 19, but the new approvals, the new starts, the new buildings um, that would have needed to come out in 2020, 2021 and 2022, absolutely poleaxed. Medium density supply has plummeted in Brisbane, which is the worst, 92%. Uh, I'll say that again, 92%. Okay. What was that case? 92%. <laughs> let, me take, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, what is that number? 92%. It, it is certainly uh, been poleaxed and... Uh, it's happened in many places around Australia uh, and uh, it's showing up now in low vacancy rates. Gang, you will see low vacancy rates, then you will see rents uh, improve and that's only been masked because interest rates have lowered so rents haven't gone up and soon to follow very quickly within two to three years will be pressure, enormous pressure on values of property um, around the country and uh, mark my words, uh, you'll see in good quality pieces of real estate and good locations, significant price rises, and you will see significant increases in rent. And uh, I'm excited about that because there's plenty of spots that uh, that uh, many of our listeners have got their money parked and invested as real estate investors and are looking forward to a few of those returns So um, uh, around the way. But if you have a look at this, you know, um, it's pretty hard to dial in, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just scroll in here as we have a look at these reports, you can see the places at the top here, okay, the Greater Brisbane, and if you can see, oh, here we go, Greater Brisbane since September 2009, have a look at the numbers, you know, twos and threes and whatever it might be, um, and now you get down, you know, it's, it's, it's been, oh, got a bit low in September 19, and have a look at that. It is the lowest vacancy rate in Brisbane, um, since 2009, 1.4%, and it is going down, okay? And if you look across here, you have a look at some vacancy rates, which are insane, insane. 0 0.9, 0 0.6, 0 0.9, under a percent. Under 1% means literally there's nothing to rent. 0 0.5. Where do you think this is going to go then, Jace? Like, do you think it's only going to get more skint? It's going to get uh, harder. And the, 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 the biggest, so what's happening in Queensland right now, which... Queensland's a bit of a beneficiary of, you know, the COVID, a, a small temporary COVID, I'm out of Melbourne, I'm out of Sydney and moving north. That, that's accelerated quite a lot of people um, in that sort of space. And, and uh, Jono, you know, where you landed in Byron there for a few months, uh, there was a record property price in Byron, sight unseen, 20, or the $22 million or $26 million dollars. Um, from a from a wealthy purchaser in Sydney said, yeah, I need a I need a bolt hole to go to, you know. So well, it's interesting. We, we lived it like because we were in Byron, we got out of Melbourne, yeah, sort of May just before lockdown happened. But in Byron, like the demand was just off the charts, and even now we're still looking there to even get a sniff. And there's literally nothing on the market, but it's six months rent up front to even be in the conversation. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't even know that. That's even worse. Yeah. And you will see this. I, I believe um, this is only the beginning. 
of our supply issues. And what is going to make it worse, and the government will have to do this, they will have to open the borders to Australia um, at some point. The universities will bring in students, and already the government is talking about um, a very selective immigration policy with basically smart people with money. Let's get them in the country. It's going to happen. And as soon as they do that, I reckon it'll be, you know, mid-21, late-21, maybe early-22. Uh, it, it is going to be game on. And there will be some squishes and some pressures um, uh, on the supply chain. It will react, but it will take between two and five years to react, to come and um, have a little little, little response in, in there. So, you know, um, I've got here a couple of chats coming through. Um, uh, Errol reckons, um, you know, g'day from the state of the current origin title holders, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, we the Queenslanders uh, brought it back um, as we go. Uh, got Christopher here sort of said, um, check out the huge government project near Melbourne being built. And and this, this is the other conversation um, that I was having this morning with everyone. Um, and thanks, Christopher, for the shout out. The infrastructure projects that are going to happen as well um, the money's going to be thrown into these marketplaces and accelerate jobs and income. You know, there's trillions of dollars to be invested from the government. That's going to happen in, in the large cities. And uh, the Victorian government announced two things, which is interesting. Um, a big upgrade to the train, uh, the train project that they had. It, the train upgrade project in Melbourne was the largest public infrastructure work um, ever in, in Victoria's history. And now they've added, I think, another seven seven stops to it, another $6 billion. I tried to find the article. I couldn't find it. Uh, and they're going to do it within the next three years. So like they're like, let's throw the money at it. We've got the coin. Let's crack on. Um, so that's going to blow the place up. And also, um, uh, they talked about the idea that um, um, the government is now going to uh, go in and create some, um, go and buy some of the development sites in Melbourne and construct some affordable housing um, for people in Melbourne, not in in the way you think, not the old-fashioned affordable housing version, very new affordable housing version. version. And that's actually going to take more supply out of, um, out of owner-occupier um, supply chains. So uh, I think it's a bloody mess. I think the supply chain is broken unbelievably. Uh, the banks um, aren't freeing up the money and we can take advantage of it if we're smart as property investors. There's going to be a real interesting convergence of all these pressures and the next three to five years are going to see the smart people make money in real estate. But my point here with my residential vacancy report is vacancies are the predictor, the, the window to the next step. When vacancy rates are really low, then um, it really signals the start of two things. The rent's rising at some point very soon. I had one of my clients, one of my coaches put her rent up in orange, um, literally this week, this week, $85 in orange, all right? You'd think, oh, crikey, you know? And when the rents go up, then the values uh, follow up after that at some point, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I've been pumping. I've been pumping um, up my excitement for a few weeks with Andy, actually a few months. But um, again, these sort of signals for me give us uh, give us some, you know, indicators on how to get ready and do it and do it well. So big news this week in 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 real estate. 
And I was telling Andy too, Jono, and those who are listening in, um, when the government announced the $25,000 builder boost, uh, literally in three weeks, the buyers came out of the woodwork and absorbed nine months of land supply in three weeks. Nine months in, in three weeks. Right now, we just did an audit. We just did an audit on our supply chain for our clients for next year. I have 21 pieces of registered land left in control, which means you can build on it now. And we have no other registered land available until April or May next year, if you're lucky, all right? And we had this same thing happen in Sydney to us just after the GFC. And we had our, our team sleeping in their cars at a place called Ropes Crossing in Sydney. Ropes Crossing, they were sleeping in their cars on behalf of our clients to get an EOI that they could, they lined up literally for 24 hours to get an EOI for our clients to buy a piece of land. And as they were, as they they took the the EOI, expression of interest, so they could then go and get a contract <coughs> that they had to exchange unconditionally in 24 hours, like you don't get any finance clause on, they were walking down the line and people were saying, hey, mate, I'll pay you 20, 30, 40, $50,000 more Right now, just give me the EOI so I can have it. Like this happened after the GFC. So I think that madness will happen next year and the year after um, because of these supply issues that are broken. Once the job issue washes through, corona and, and the risk that's, that is literally still here for business owners and people who have jobs, once that washes through, then we're going to end up with a real issue with our real estate world. So that's it from me, Andy. Real estate, real estate excitement done and dusted. What do you got for us this week in the world of shares and the marketplace, mate? Well, mate, just following on for you before I get on to, to what I had to talk about is that interest rates are the great equaliser, aren't they? Uh, because ultimately, on a few different points, because you talk about government infrastructure products, and we all know that governments fuck up everything that they touch when it comes to commercial <laughs> projects. So when the interest rates are basically at zero, then they really don't have to make much profit whatsoever in order to be able to claim a successful product. That's um, true. So... You know that, and I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a huge amount of infrastructure spend. You and I have been talking about it ad nauseum, and and the reason being is that you know these are the rates, and it's not just here; it is uh, it is globally, as as you and I were having a little bit of a chat about before. So as yeah. we speak, there's actually three countries, right? Three countries with interest rates that are below zero. Uh, and and some of them are actually bolstered into the eurozone, right? And you, you probably can't read that on the screen. So Jenny is neg point one, right? Neg point one. Uh, so the, the opposite to the positive point one where Australia is. So we're not too far away. We're what thirty basis points away. Um, Denmark and Switzerland negative point seven five percent. Bulgaria, Norway, Sweden, and the eurozone are at zero. Right. So it is not just us. We're not in a little vacuum. We're not in. Uh, uh, we're not in isolation. This is a global movement, right? So, and and when we look at uh, when we look at Japan, Japan's been been there for a long time. We've spoken about it a lot, and we've also spoken about how if we want to know where uh, low interest rates go, as far as infrastructure, as far as uh, industrial, uh, as far as financial markets go, we look to Japan. And when we do look to Japan, we understand that well. Actually, as far as industrials and things like that go and as far as markets go, 
it still sustains over a very long period of time. Like there's a short-term disruption uh, based on events generally, but longer term, uh, the markets have a different type of uh, risk premium that that starts to come into it because people won't put their money into cash, so they have to put their money somewhere. And I think that that's also a really, really good positive sign for for real estate and real assets uh, or the perception of what's defensive assets, and we've spoken about that a lot. Totally. Uh, So... Mate, uh, I think the governments will finally be able to run product, uh, projects that they will actually turn a profit from because they, they, they're not paying 4%, so they don't have to produce more than a 6% yield on their investment in order to go positive. So, you know, we're going to hear some good cheers out of the, uh, the old government seats. But and I, I just uh, around the news and around the grounds, as I said, there wasn't a huge amount to comment on, uh, which was a little bit disappointing because things have been markedly positive. But one of the things I just I found as I was as fleeting around as I do is that, uh, you know, we've we've actually seen this come out just more recently uh, in that um, the COVID. So there, there's a study done now that uh, that actually says that mouthwash can kill uh, the coronavirus in the in the labs in 30 seconds. So uh, we I turned to America straight after that and I realised that. Um, that uh, that that this old bloke here, oh, and I can't bring him up. <laughs> it's so disappointing. I, uh, I, I realised this old bloke had uh, had instantaneously shot some of it up, and uh, so Donald Trump's pretty happy. He reckons that if you inject some mouthwash, uh, you can kill coronavirus in uh, in twenty seconds. So, uh, mate, it is going gangbusters over there. Pfizer, you know, no wonder their share price isn't going anywhere. It's uh, Trump has just figured out how to put mouthwash into a syringe and have a look at him. He's having a time of his life, uh, out there. And the uh, the other thing that we ended up seeing in the markets, uh, or in the news rather, is uh, we saw our favourite premier for a Victorian perspective, that uh, Gladys Berejiklian, um, sacks a parliamentary secretary for crossing the floor on the old koala policy. So it's koala wars, Jason. Koala wars. This is what I've been resorted to report on based on what <laughs> is not happening in financial markets. We've got koala wars. So I did some investigative journalism, uh, Jason, hey, and do you know what I found? I found out really, really interesting things because we know that we're a global uh, landscape now and we're a global community. So we've got the koala wars in Australia, but then I thought let's dig a little bit deeper and let's see how this is impacting on the rest of the world. And and bugger me, silly, it, it seems like the Japanese bears are up in arms about this because we've seen the Japanese face the worst wild bear attacks in five years. So, Jason, I don't know. I you know, it's unlike me to to draw links that that aren't actually there. But I think that the uh, the old koala bears and the the Japanese bears have got together, and they're just jack sick of politics globally. And uh, oh, hang on, this is coming in live, mate. This is coming in live from uh, Japan. We can see some of the uh, bear attacks that are actually happening right now. And uh, oh, it's not for not for viewers with weak stomachs, um, but. Um, but in all seriousness, we've, we've it's been credit to John West there. Credit goes to John West Creative. I'll just ignore yeah. that. Yeah, so John. O. <laughs> Thanks, John. O. So we don't get in trouble. We'll get banned off YouTube for that, Andy. It's <laughs> great from Giftography. Uh, thank you very much for the uh, the old gift givers. But um, mate, this this is basically what we're uh, what we're seeing. What we've got left over the side, we've got the S and P five hundred. Um, Basically, since the election has, has ramped forward a little bit, we've got Tesla. Tesla's back up at its highest possible point 
in a long time. S- uh, Tesla's actually now joined the S&P because it had four positive quarters uh, of profit. Yeah. It had the standing yeah. to be there. Now, my guess, and I, this isn't, don't go out and buy Tesla. That's not what I'm saying. And when you listen to Jono's psychology later on, don't go back and say when I said don't, that means do, right? Don't, whatever <laughs> it is. I'm not suggesting that you go out and buy Tesla, but it wouldn't be unusual to see this thing actually fly if the S&P actually gets any more momentum. So that will be one to watch. The stock that everyone's talking about, which is Pfizer, which is uh, which is in the centre here because we've got so much talk in and around uh, uh, in and around vaccines and things like that at the moment. Uh, had a chat with some of our uh, our health specialists in this space and, and people are asking the question, well, why aren't Pfizer and uh, AstraZeneca, why aren't they going ballistic? And the reality is is there's just no money in vaccines. Uh, there's just flat out no money in vaccines. So uh, for those of you who think jump onto a, a, a medic, medical stock because, they're, uh, because they possibly might have the cure, uh, the my sources say that, uh, that that could be a very, very limited ride. And when you have a look at Pfizer, it really hasn't done a lot over time. What I'm really interested in and what we've been chatting about for a little while, uh, Jace, is the, the rise of some of what we call a value stock. So stocks that have good forward-looking uh, mm. price-earnings ratios, good, uh, good forward-looking cash flows. GE is largely known and GE's got its problems right there are some serious problems with GE there's some, an insurance book that need that is still bad and, uh, but this this thing caught absolutely slams before COVID came in but uh, we were talking about this a little while ago and ever since we've uh, we've been speaking about it, I think they've been eavesdropping on the conversation because this thing shot up from about three dollars to ten uh-huh. um, I'm not just saying that from the perspective of let's go out and uh, and buy uh, GE, but it's really interesting because when you, when you have a look at if you have a look at the left hand side versus the right hand side, the left hand side, right? So we've got Tesla in there. Look at the correlation of how that graph actually runs when you look at Tesla and the S and P. So the S and P is the far left, and Tesla is is sitting here in the uh, next to it, right? So we've got S and P. And we've got Tesla. And if I put Apple uh, or Amazon into here or Google, they would look almost identical to this. And you can see that this is the largest industrials company in the world. So it makes up a large part of the S&P market cap, and so the, the American market cap. And you can see that this like, is only just starting to actually grow. And what this actually shows is that the S&P, again, as we've talked about, uh, again, ad nauseum, is that the S&P has been growing those tick stocks. And every time the market waves, it goes in tech. But the last week it has been pretty boring uh, in international space. In Australia space, Australia, we've done well. We're sitting, as we speak at the moment, uh, we're sitting at about 6,500 on the All Lords. We've, we've punched up at 6,600. So uh, Australia's actually gone really, really well. We're nowhere near where we were. Uh, but we, we've gone extraordinarily well. But here's the thing. So these companies like your Woodside Petroleums, like your GEs in the industrials, these companies with great looking forward cash flows, they're going to get some momentum and it might be certain sectors at certain points in time. But mark my words, mate, when these things go like what GE did and, and it basically you know, went from three to, three to 10, um, these stocks will go very, very quickly when it's game on. And I think you said it last week is that it feels like we're in the eye of the storm. 
And it kind of does feel like that. The American election's gone. And the reason why I was taking the, the mickey out of the news a little bit is because in my world, it's been chaos, chaos for six months. And then we had Trump and the election, and it just went from chaos to lunacy. And now there's, <laughs> there's really not a lot that's happening. And so markets are actually, you know, uh, flatlining a little bit and not knowing which direction. Of course, we have our man uh, Biden, uh, and we're, we're, we're never political uh, or endorse anybody uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Thank you, uh, Gifography again. But uh, Aaron Biden, uh, they did a recount, for those of you who don't know, um, they did a manual recount, so a hand recount, and uh, and that put Biden in front over in the US. But there is still conspiracy theories galore as to what's going to happen and whether Trump is going to be there. Got it from a good contact of ours that we know, Mr Brands, is a 17 to 1 on punter's odds. Uh, for Trump to uh, to take out the presidency. So if you like some long odds, you can back the Trump force uh, at 17 to 1 odds to uh, to take the inauguration, but probably it'll be in March if that ended up happening. So, mate, uh, that's about what's been happening around the grounds with me. It's been a busy week, but, uh, but mate, it's just been a good week and it's been nice. Mate, uh, good to hear, mate. And uh, the Victorians are allowed out of lockdown and uh, starting to stretch their legs, mate. So good to see Mate, uh, you got a little bit more, uh, a little bit more colour to your skin, mate, and uh, you know you've been out and about, so that's uh, that's good news. So, <laughs> but I, I will say, mate, I, I'll say that uh, thoughts are with with our capadres over in the uh, in South Australia, over to our west and your southwest. It's uh, we we know what uh, we know what it feels like to be in that precarious position, and and uh. hopefully. The- uh, the contact tracing goes better over there than what it uh, what it did in Victoria, and they get that under wraps pretty quickly. And, uh, yeah. and for those of you over there, a big shout out to all of our South Australian listeners. Um, uh, we'll, we'll we'll probably have some view on if it goes any further, but let's keep our fingers crossed that they get this under control. <laughs> fingers crossed. Oh, yeah, shout out to those guys. Well, mate, let's uh, let's shift gear and have a chat to Jono. Jono, mate, welcome and thanks for for coming on today. It's a, it's awesome to have a bit of a guest. Usually Andy and I ran on for about an hour and uh, um, a couple of weeks ago I forgot to have lunch and I had one glass of wine and I was by the end of it slurring my words. So this week uh, I've, I've made sure I had my lunch, so hopefully you have too. But, mate, uh, but great, to, great to have you on uh, this afternoon, mate. Can you just give a bit of an overview for the listeners listening in what you do in the world of direct response media and, and, um, and uh, maybe we'll sort of talk about these parts of the brain. I, I love your your approach and you've written a book and be great to sort of dive into that, but give everyone sort of a big picture overview of, you know, uh, what you do and, and where you come from. Yeah. Awesome. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, my background, I've worked marketing side. So fortune 500, um, I've worked network side. So I've been largest radio networks, help land and launch all the digital networks with channel nine. I've been digital side. I've been outdoor. So I know the media landscape incredibly well, um, especially in Australia and New Zealand. Um, we we founded, this is my second agency, this is purely a performance agency. So we do a lot of work with well-funded startups and brands looking to aggressively grow. So we're, we're channel agnostic, so we're not precious about which medium it is. All we care about is what is driving leads, what is driving sales revenue into an organization. So nice. we've got, you've got a lot of technology to understand what's actually going on, but a platform that under, underwrites us as well is a neuromarketing platform called Weapons of Influence. So it's also very strategic in terms of how do you create messaging that influences and persuades human behavior. So that's that's a quick summary of, of what we do. 
the, the quick summary. And mate, you know, um, you know, no matter which way you slice or dice, whether it's business, marketing, investing, you know, property or shares, you know, your brain can uh, be used for uh, for good, or it can lead you astray. I'm quite sure. And um, you know, this weapons of influence concept. Uh, I was having a listen to one of the videos that you you've done and, and seen a few of your models, mate. Uh, amazing, amazing um, concept. Now you've been sort of collaborating with some like crazy, amazing people around the world. Um, you know, give us a little bit of insight to you know how did you come to this point, which is kind of all right. I'm going to write a book and and uh, really study the brain and connect it with marketing. Yeah, um, well, my journey started when I was 18, and it was very unexpected. Uh, I woke up one winter's morning and uh, there was about a week there just over that I was waking up every morning and I having these crazy headaches and I ended up going to see the local GP. Um, next thing you know, within 24 hours, I was at St. Vincent's uh, and I had a choice and I needed a full craniotomy to remove a brain tumour. Um, so it was very much a life and death situation and from that moment, um, A, I'm very grateful for it because it changed my life in many different respects, but I've been very interested in the brain just because I've had that experience and I moved away from industrial design, which I was studying then, to marketing, which then led into advertising. Mm. So, you know, now 18 years on, learning more about the brain, how, how, how do we interpret information, how do we file memories away, but more so how do we influence and persuade from a marketing communication perspective. So that's how we got into it. Where we're at at the moment is I got into media and advertising and I understand the media landscape incredibly well. One thing that frustrated me, was when you'd have a creative spokesperson or a creative individual come in and pitch a concept. You know, half the time I'm sitting there going like, this guy is full of shit, but everyone is nodding their heads and they're signing up to this idea. I can't see it working. Uh, and they'd end up going ahead with this idea and it would fall on its face. And I, and I knew something was out, but I didn't know what and I couldn't explain it so you didn't have a case. So this this led to my frustration and, again, that's why – I'm not a natural at this day, space. I'm a very much a learned um, academic in this space. And that, that has been my quest. I understand the media, but it's only worth so much if you don't understand the message that needs to go in that channel. So mm. that's been the, the, the understanding. So what I've done is oh, I've basically reached out to some of the greatest neuroscientists around the world. So one I'm working with at the moment is Dr. Jared Cooney Horvath. He's one of 12 people on the planet that understand the brain and how it files memory and more so learning. So, so we're, we're co-collaborating on this book called Weapons of Influence and it's just literally reverse engineering the greatest advertising and marketing campaigns on the planet. Why did they work? What was happening to the body and more so what was happening inside the brain that it was so effective? Then yeah. you create a template that then you can start to replicate. Mate, it sounds like it's a shortcut to, uh, to creating the right media for this, for this time uh, in the world. Mate, uh, you know, what, what are you doing now um, compared to 5, 10, 15 years ago? You know, I mean, the world of social media, you know, here to stay, um, you know, is that, is that sort of spiced it up endlessly with endless versions of everything or is, is there still like a core kind of thing that you, that you always have to, you know, work with and then, you know, the platform is the platform? Look, the challenge is, is most most brands are unique and you need to look at those brands unique. How much resources are they? What is their channel to deliver it? Uh, the, so, the, so there's no golden rule such. But what has happened is there are so many options now 
that most people literally get so confused they don't know what to do and it's yeah. the latest blog, the latest commentator suggesting something and everyone's just flipping from one tactic to another tactic without looking at the strategy. So it's really reactive. So, you know, TV, everyone's claiming TV's dead. There's an element that, yes, there's, there's audience decline, but if you're looking at it in Australia, it still has the largest reach for the Australian population bar none. Do you know, it's still incredibly effective. But like we saw with this year, um, TV rates got absolutely decimated. We were buying TV at 50 cents in the dollar. And when you put the bonus on top of it, we were literally buying TV for 25, 30 cents in the dollar. You fast forward to today, they have just crushed sales records. Mm. There is more demand for TV now than there has been in the last four or five years. So there's, there's a few things going on. And if you want to go to the market, we can talk about that. So we had at the start of COVID, for, this is from a macro media budget flowing into advertising channels. So this yeah. is across Facebook, Google, TV, radio. So TV still has lion's share of budgets, about 40%. Um, and then the other two, so about 40%, 40 cents in every dollar goes to TV from an advertising perspective. Um, yeah. it's, but what is growing, that's stagnant and plateaued. But where the growth is really coming is from Facebook and Google. Like that is yeah. where the revenue growth is going from. Yeah. So TV got decimated. Everyone in COVID freaked out, pulled out their budget and thought it was the end of the world. So what's, what's the difference there, mate? Because uh, when you think of television and just logically thinking, I, I would say based on this sort of neuroscience approach is that you're watching somebody on television per se, you know, whether it's a footy show with Eddie Maguire or your footy show, Jason, with, you know, those guys on it and um, and there's 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 almost like an association of trust that comes afterwards isn't there because you just listen to somebody that you trust and and that you you're cool with and and you're listening to and then it go whether it's the man shake that they're advertising but it's almost like television there's almost like a handshake that happens when you when it finishes the the, the Eddie McGuire cuts to a break and it's almost like a handshake into the commercial. And I would see that that is almost like a, a pass off of trust. Whereas the social game, I would say, well, there's not really. Any. So what's the difference between the two? How do you read it? Well, this, it's a really good question. So TV, I'll, there's two things that I'll, I'll touch on. The first one is TV is still associated from a consumer perspective or an audience perspective to be very, very expensive. So only expensive brands can play there. So there's an associated trust. You've got to buy into it. So there's definitely an associated trust. Um, I'll just throw this out there because it's very timely. This week we just signed a new client. They were running advertorials. So that is a four-minute segment in the morning show that you think only people 70-plus are watching. That is the best-performing inventory for this business, and they are across Google, Facebook, and you name it, and they're doing a very good job everywhere else. But the reason it's working so well, and I'll give an example. One, they were in studio, so they had a recognized talent from Channel 9 and just literally two people talking for four minutes and then call this number to get you free, whatever it may be. They moved this to off location, so it was no longer in a studio. The response rates literally dropped by about 70% because they lost this trust of the network that comes mm. with it. Yeah. So this is where TV has this associated trust to it. It's on TV. It's got to be trusted. The challenge with social is you can have a $500 a month budget and you can put your brand on there. So it's really saturated with rats and mice and everything in between. Do I trust this? Do I not? I don't know. Yeah. But on yeah. Facebook, you get very cheap leads. 
But the challenge with a lot of people at the moment is I can get leads for $5, $10 and anywhere in between, but I might only be converting 10% of those leads, 2% of those leads. Whereas from a TV lead, I'll be converting 60, 70% of those leads. So when you look at your amortized costs, when you're running call centers and so forth, you got to look at the macro. So yeah, there's, there's some really interesting things going on. So it's, it's far from dead, but the money is very much flowing to Google and to Facebook. To those other places, and and it's really interesting you say that because, you know, it, let's say in the the 2010 to maybe 2015 16 era for for my business and positive real estate, the property investor magazines like we we owned, we had prime spot in every single one. We had budget, we we took it out, we bought everything out. Matter of fact, when they called us and they said there's leftover inventory, your competitor wants to buy it, I would buy it. And not use it just to keep my competitors out, right? Like that's what I would do. Um, oh, you got I, I, too good, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I had this little space, and I was like, king of the king of the king of the pile, right? But um, you know, when when those magazines disappeared, um, literally no one prints a magazine, and you know that right. inventory inventory sort of disappeared. You know, our business was lost for a couple of years because we we only knew that style of thing. And it, it's interesting when you're talking about you know. Everyone pulled their budget from television, and now you know they've had an amazing, amazing uh, comeback for the moment. Do you think it's sustainable into the future? What are your thoughts? Is that a combo? I'll go businesses more, in? Yeah, this is probably more an Andy and yours, and this might be interesting for you as well. So we definitely saw big advertisers freak out at COVID. So they pulled all their budget, or they pulled at least half of it. Yeah. So TV networks didn't know what to do, so they drastically discounted their rates, and there was a huge amount of bonus. So with Government stimulus and super early withdrawal, $20,000 most people pulled out. Yeah. We saw brands break records by considerable margin, like Harvey Norman, I'm sure you saw. They were up 105, 185% in profit. Yes. All the major autos were well up, anywhere from 10 to 30% up. You can't even you can go into a Toyota dealer. You can't get a Prado till April next year. There's just no stock because it's all been sucked. So what's happened is they've had bumper May, June, July, August. And this is the challenge with a lot of these big brands is they run on lag metrics. What happened historically, forecast my marketing budget for the future. But uh-huh. they've loaded all this money into to October, November, December, and it's starting to soften off now. You can see the market starting to soften, but it's been really, really bullish because they've had huge months. They're now trying to harvest it. But they're not really looking at what the future, what's coming on. And again, I'm still relatively bullish that the next few months are going to be reasonably good. What happens yep. next year is anyone's anyone's guess from a consumer perspective. But th- this is why the the media market is behaving quite erratically, like the stock market. And it is a market. You know, yes. the more demand it is, it pumps up prices. So TV was cheap, money was running into TV. What's happened over time with Facebook and Google? More and more money is flowing there. So the prices, your cost per clicks only increase because there's more competitors. So yeah. as you'll see, they were incredibly cheap. Going back 10 years ago, like five years ago even, it, it was insanely cheap because people weren't there. Now it's becoming very saturated. It's getting very competitive and it's pushing people out because they're just not getting the performance. Yeah, yeah. And what do you see, mate? Do you see, you know, call it the Westpacs of the world or the Toyota of the world, like would they ever have a home in Facebook or uh, YouTube? You, you know, do you think that's their place, or do you do you think it's going to be that that place for 
the small to medium business because that's kind of the, what the consumer is looking for. What, what are your thoughts on that? At, at the moment, most of the bigger brands are lost with social. Yeah. The reason I say that is they're still used to shooting the million-dollar creative, the 30-second TVC, uh-huh. and then how do I push that on social? The reality is you're on social because you want social content. I don't want to be pushed an ad. So yeah, this no, is I, the, sorry, Andy. Because just just right on that line, because they and 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 smack on what you're talking about. Because I would assert that uh, companies like Tesla are dominating in social, uh, are absolutely crushing uh, social. Maybe not by ads, but they're whatever they're doing is gaining a huge amount of momentum because they're they're not. They're not anywhere else other than really on social via uh, Elon Musk. They go on. I'll ask you why. Why are they crushing it? Mm. I'd say that uh, what they're different. They're in an area. They're inspirational, or Elon Musk's vision is inspirational. His purpose is inspirational. Uh, they're not trying to push anything. Uh, they, they barely sell. Um, a lot of document, a lot of documentary content that's out there. Uh, I don't know, I, but I'd always go back to they're talking about a journey that they're on, and they're they're walking that journey, and they're taking people along on that story with them. That that's where I would go with it. Mission driven. Michelle said that she used to uh, advertise on TVC. Is that um, what's that? Is that the uh, can you can buy the jewelry and stuff? I don't know. <laughs> And uh, used to increase her sales 20% every year. Um, Look, and, and this is why one strategy is not one size fits all. Like TV yeah. is really becoming the home of the 40-plus demo. It really is. The younger audiences still, you can reach them. It's just becoming very expensive to reach. Yeah. And it's harder, harder to engage them on that medium. Whereas if you're looking at the 40-plus, they're actually watching more TV than ever or more video than ever. Um, So it really depends on on who you're going after. But back to Tesla. Tesla is a really interesting one because he's really challenged the way you take a brand to market. So you go, what ingredients does Tesla have? A, you've got an incredibly desirable brand or product Mm. that is aspirational. You know, look, I'd love to have a Tesla one day, but it's just out of my price range or whatever it is. And that's why they're So their entire strategy from day done has been incredibly clever. You've also got a PR machine in Elon Musk. Mm. He is, in essence, his own media company. Anything he does, his own media company. Same as Trump. He's his own media company. So unless you're your own media company, it's very hard to replicate the Tesla strategy, which is why Tesla never have to pay advertising because they've got such an innovative product that's taking on the giants. People love that story. They love the product. All you have to see is a Tesla trying to drag a V8 supercar and you're like, that's A, great content. I want to see more of it. But you're like, <laughs> holy shit, it crushed it. Like you, you can't back away from a great product. Um, and again, they've invested more in the product development. What mm. they would have spent on ads, they created amazing product. That was and their that- strategy. Let's create amazing product that people will talk about. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that then potentially the the advertising of the future because again i'd assert that television has a lifespan for maybe 10 15 20 years uh until it drastically changes the way that it operates whether it's a netflix model or whatever the case may be but the, i guess the question based on that is 
do you work with clients in 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 the aspect of how is it that you become that type of uh that that type of avatar like an elon musk that becomes that authority that kind of brand that that takes people through there's the strategy we call trusted advisor and for social this is what every business out there looking for. people within your business should be talking about your niche what you specialize why your product's great how we solve problems and they need to become part of your long-term branded assets and part of your strategy moving forward. That is social. People want to see that content. You know, if you're on a customer, tell your customer's stories as well. That is social. So that's more of a, a content play through video. And going back to your question with the big brands, where they've got it wrong, they've gone out and spent $50,000 in creating two or three videos for social. Uh. They post it on their content and it does nothing for them. They're like, ooh. This social stuff doesn't really work so well. We're a little bit lost. We're a little bit confused. When the reality is you want user-generated content. You want people to tell their stories. It's not so much. That's why the old playbook of TV where I can really control everything, social's not. It's organic. You need to let it have its own life and its own form. Mm. So let, let, me, let me ask you this. If, because it's only a matter of time until a few people solve this puzzle. And if you've got a global product, you know, uh, Google, Facebook, YouTube, you know, they're billion-plus people platforms, right, whereas Australian media, Australian television or radio is geographically located to, to, to our demographic, which is just a fraction of that. <clears throat> so if we talk about it from sort of the market side of the equation, you know, are, are you looking at any players that have global products that you're kind of going, if these guys manage to harness, you know, the social content game and become that trusted advisor and be able to dominate their space, you know, do, are you looking at companies like that going, if these guys master it, this this company could potentially really just shoot the lights out and be going places? Totally. And especially if you're looking at those products in the younger cohort, so say sub 35, sub 45 even. You know, we work with brands like, you know, SodaStream, Nutribullet, these type of organisations, and, and social very much plays a role. But what you want is people at home loving the product so much, they pull up their phone and go, look at my Nutribullet, isn't amazing, look what I've just done. I'm yeah. on a health kick. Like, that is what you want. That is user-generated content because they love your product so much. Like, this, this is, that is the market, that is the play. Um, and this is where social really plays for, for lower-value product more FMCG, using teas, wines, you know, booze, because it's stuff you use and interact with every day and it's easy to integrate to your to your content. Whereas for a big brand, there you go. Or cars, but then go for a bank. How do you integrate a bank to user-generated content? No one wants to talk about their bank. Like this this is the conundrum. That's why social is not the same for all other medium. I still need to get my message out there. Chuck one over the fence to you, Jono, right? So... So Australians, uh, you know, quite reserved people by and large. You know, we don't like to talk ourselves up. We're kind of, you know, this tall poppy syndrome, whatever you think, especially in my game, Andy's game, you know, talking about our actual financial status is actually kind of like a bit frowned upon. Like, you know, oh, you wanker, you're telling everyone you've got five investment properties, you know, what a tosser, all that sort of stuff, you know. And and I've even had some of my best clients. I said, hey, listen, could I use you as an... uh, uh, you know, a testimonial, and they said, yeah, we'd love to. And, and they talked us up like the cows come home and then, you know, their friends and family sort of reacted negatively to us using them as a success story, you know. Um, 
you know, how would you approach our world of kind of, you know, these kind of almost taboo subjects, you know, like don't talk about sex, politics, you know, money. I don't know. What, what are the other things, you know? How would you approach as a bit of a, bit of a test and measure in this sort of space, you know? What, would you, what, what, what advice would you give us? I think it's just about everything we talk about on this show, Jace. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. And finance is a tricky one. It's like talking about politics. It's like talking about religion. It is one of those, yeah. those yeah. topics. That you're going to have individuals that will be very proud to talk about what they've achieved. I've come yeah. from nothing. This is where I was at. This is what I'm at now. And I'm unashamedly going to go out to market. That's okay. But that's yeah. not right for everyone. You've got other individuals where you not necessarily talk about the metrics, how many properties you've got or how much you've got in the bank or what it's worth, but it's more how this has helped improve my life, how this mm-hmm. has given me security. Like, so mm-hmm. it's the tone that changes rather than the specifics. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. At Aussie, we'll save you type of mentality, the, 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 um, the, the Aussie <laughs> battler. It is, but it's also when you're looking at testimonials and they're very crass, it's like I had no real estate investment properties, now I've got seven. I had two, now I've got 52. Thanks to Jason, you're awesome. Like they're, they've great contrast because it's very black and white. And yeah. contrast is amazing. But you also want to add color to it as well. So it's like, you know, I struggled for five years without. So think about the contrast that you could have that's not necessarily so binary. So it's I struggled with real estate. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Jason and the team made it so easy. I only need to spend one hour a month on it, whereas previously I was spending. Like, there are other metrics you could use outside yeah. of the things that the tall poppy that people will shoot down. Yes, yeah, that's great. All right, well, um, where do I sign, John? Um, like, I'll just. <laughs> I'll just send you an invoice. <laughs> yeah. You don't. You don't ask that question of somebody who's in advertising, mate. That's, uh, the is not. That's all right. He's got the secretary punching the, uh, the chips in. It's already in your inbox. Check. It really is. frame tonight, aren't you? You've got to dart off, don't you? Mate, I've probably got another 10 or 15. But, yeah, if there's is there anything else that you want to cover off, more than happy happy to chat. Um, yeah, I've probably got another 10 or 15. Mate, I, I love it. Well, mate, you know, from your, um, you know, from the book that you're collaborating with now, you know, what are some of the highlights that you'd you'd love to share? I mean, uh, I'm, I can't wait to get a copy of it. Um, you know, you know, you know, give it a give it a shameless plug, mate. This goes out to you know a few thousand people. Um, but you know, I, I think it's great stuff. I, I, Andy and I have known you for ages, and you're a, you're a, you're an absolute legend. You know, but for business owners or people looking to you know advertise or have influence, you know, what are some of the things? Give us a quick highlight of of, of the weapons of influence, mate. Yeah, um, weapons of influence is literally there's there's twelve principles or twelve strategies within it, and every business can at least leverage two, three, or four of those to drastically improve what they're doing. And it's very formulaic. So for me, I never understood the creative world, and I had to go and undebunk it. So this mm. is why it's very formulaic. And just because there's a formula doesn't reduce the creativity. If anything, it increases it because you can have an idea and then you can put a framework again. It and then magical things happen rather than just having a creative idea and it does nothing for you. But, you know, that's Weapons of Influence. It ties into the Science of Advertising show. Feel free to search it on YouTube um, or follow us. Um, you, got we talk, we literally grab- you? you got a podcast Sorry? going on? you got a podcast we going on? Podcast. Yeah. So every two weeks we feature four ads. 
one new, we have a compare the pair and we have a, a, a legacy or a very iconic ad. And we just, de- we just break them down into why they work so well. Nice. So this is where we start talking about why that ad works so well or what they could have done better to improve the response rate. So we come from a performance, memory, brand, memory encoding. So that's where we come from. So, mate, uh, I've got a couple of challenges for you just before you sign (laughs) off. Uh, As as we always like to uh, test our guests uh, when they're up for it, and I know you're up for it. So, mate, uh, in 30 seconds or less, uh, how would you be able to – how would you pitch – a model of direct response media in less than 30 seconds in order to cut through from the science that you talk about. If you were just to go five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, so if you're investing over half a million dollars a year in advertising, you're unhappy with the results, come to us. We've got a pay and performance platform. We back ourselves to give our clients at least a 30% increase within three months. Cool, fuck, that was good. Uh, so sa- same question, uh, but for wine and wisdom. So how would you intro wine and wisdom in order to catch that same sort of ooh, that like shivering kind of cut through? And I'll give you a, a little bit more time. I'll just chat. and. Jason I don't need I'll... any more time for that one because I sat through your intro and I've sat through a few others. Look, you don't there's, look there's a... <laughs> <laughs> No, I... For, for if you're looking for what your environment is, your environment is a casual chat at the end of the week. Let's talk about what's going on and have a glass of wine. That is how you set the stage. That is the type of environment that you create. So there's there's not too much that I'd actually change because you create quite a relaxed atmosphere. If you wanted something more punchy, again, that might not be the environment or brand you're looking to create, but you'd want to seed some information or some intrigue about what's coming. So if I tune in right at the start of the show, I'm like, oh, I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, that's really interesting. So I'll tune in for the next 20, 30, 40 minutes till you get to the topic where at the moment there's kind of none of the seeding of information. It's just you got to tune into the the whole hour or so and if there's content in there, great. But if there's not, so that that's probably the only um, slight tweak. But I like the vibe that you're creating and I'll go gentle on you, Andy. <laughs> well, I was, I was expecting brutal. So... We we have the uh, we have the mad minute, uh, and I'm not sure whether Jace is going to be able to get the the counter up in time for it. But the the mad minute, we uh, we just kind of uh, put our guests through the pace of uh, whatever's the first thing that comes to mind uh, as we go. Have we got a, a timer ready to rock and roll, there, Jace? Ready to go, Andy. It's on. And- All right, favorite TV show. <laughs> favorite TV show. Right now, it's pretty sad, but it's The Ranch. <laughs> Favorite sport? Basketball. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Family or dogs? <laughs> Family. <laughs> What's your favorite weapon of influence? Ah, uh, oh, that's so hard. It's got to be distinction bias, which is contrast frame. So it is. You only know hot when there's cold. You only know tall when they're short. So like what we we're talking about for, you've got to have le- what's on the left and what's on the right. It's, it's insanely powerful. Which weapon is underutilized? Trusted advisor. Which person has better content, Jason or Andy? <laughs> uh, that is the easiest question of a lot. It's Jace by far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all we have time for. We should cut him off right there, I think. <laughs> hey, why is it shutting me out? It's kicking me out. 
Mate, uh, uh, it's, we, we, we loved having you on, on board today. It's uh, My nickname for Jono is The Force because the, the, the guy is an absolute force of nature. Uh, the, we didn't even touch on the, the surface of, of what it is that you know and how the, the brain integrates and how that all relates to to advertising to to the neuroscience there's so much more to get involved with there and uh so when the book is released mate we'd we'd love to to be able to give it a firm plug because i'd love to be able to uh read it myself and uh and digest what are what words of wisdom that i've heard from you for years uh and potentially even go further down the track and and look at some of the the companies that in the next six to 18 months start to really leverage their social game because Fundamentally, before you came on here, I said that uh, I'm constantly looking around social for big companies with global products to nail the content marketing game on uh, on social media because I'll start to look at them and I'll, I'll look at even backing them personally just from the perspective of if they nail that, their audience is is, is exponential. So would mm. love to, to pick your brain as this transpires and because that's an interesting one. It's not just so much their social game. It's who's making innovative, great product that people want to share it because it is, it is such a game changer. Like that is ultimately the, the cadence. So yeah. that's a great that's a lead indicator of a potential, you know, um, growth growth stock right there. So yeah, that'd be a good much. one. Back. Yeah, yeah, Andy might be a might be a collaboration with you and Jono. Errol just asked uh, Jono quick quickly the the link what what is it to the podcast again so we are the science of advertising show um look what i can post it in the feed below once this is live or or when it's Perfect. running so i can Thanks, easily mate. put that in there be much appreciated and a bit of a shout out from uh, jason patworth mate um he, he uh Hello, legend. <laughs> ahoy mate uh been awesome to have you on mate um and uh, as always um as always andy my friend um, been great to hang out with you and have a glass of wine. The hour has gone super fast, and uh, it's been uh, been super fun. So uh, thank you, Jono. Thank you, Andy. And uh, for those listening in, track down Jono and his team. Absolute legend, good bloke all round, and uh, dad of twins, um, taking care of things uh, <laughs> as best he can. He doesn't do anything by halves, this boy. Not, not anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Real men have twins. That's true. So, uh, so there you go. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, for those who are still here, absolutely fantastic to have you on. Have a great weekend. And there's only one thing left to do, um, Andy, that is to say sayonara to Sadlia's Creek Wines. Thank you again, Wendy. Fantastic drop today. You're dead right. Mm. The bluegrass was, was, was top-notch, Andy. Was dynamite, wasn't it? Look at the legs yeah. on that. The legs are the, 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 legs. the way the glycerin actually holds Look at the, the legs line. on that out of my plastic cup, Andy. My pla- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell me. Wait, tell me. You Queenslander. I had to resist myself not put not to put ice in the wine. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Andy, Andy will defriend me if I put ice in my red wine. Anyway, mate, uh, uh, it's great to have you on, Jono. Andy, awesome to hang with you. And thank you, everyone who dialed in. Um, we'll finish with this one. Julie Fletcher, loved it. Good on you, Jules. She's commonly known in in uh, in the circles. Julie fucking Fletcher, we love you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, everyone have a great weekend. And last but not least, we'll do the outs. Jono, disappear if you need to. And uh, thanks for coming thanks, on board. Guys. Adios, amigos.